0: state-of-the-art technology from NOCO your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello automotive enthusiasts today I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest Dennis Simon. Dennis are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I sure am I'm ready to go. All
0: right it's great to have you here Dennis Simon began his career as a fashion illustrator after graduating from the Maryland Institute College of Art in 1969. He later worked as an art director in an ad agency and then as a full-time freelancer. And in 1986 and 87, Dennis designed an exhibit system for the Collier Automotive Museum in Naples, Florida, providing an ideal opportunity for him to combine his skills in exhibit design with his long-standing interest in vintage automobiles. His interest in cars has been lifelong. His work has appeared in numerous magazines, books, and on many, many event posters. Through his imagery and design, his goal has been to bring back the missing elements of style, romance, and panache that so characterized an earlier part of this automotive age. Dennis, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Could you take a little bit of time and share some more about your history and your career as an artist, your interests, and, of course, your passion? for automobiles
1: well uh, after I graduated from high school I went to art school even in high school I thought I was interested in fashion illustration so um, I went to Maryland Institute and I was a fashion major which was really a fashion design uh, kinda curriculum but fashion illustration was a little part of that and that was the direction I was going to go off into so uh, I got out of art school and I started working, and I worked for a big chain of men's stores, and I was doing fashion illustration, like you would see in the daily newspapers, mm-hmm. and did that for about three years. But I got a I got bored with it fast. It was a real pattern of um, retail sales. Schedules, you know, sort of the spring sale after the summer sale, or <laughs> yeah, backwards, but uh, you know, one sale after another, and then the custom suit promotion and this and that. And after three years, and uh, you know, I, I just didn't want to stick around for another go round of all that, sure,
0: another season of clothing,
1: right? So, um I got a job at uh, the advertising agency that did our sort of fancier advertising, more than the newspaper advertising. And I worked there as a freelance art director for a short time. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't happy. uh, They probably weren't happy with me not being happy every day and <laughs> yeah. I really wasn't there very long and I decided I was just going to go off and be a freelance illustrator and kind of go wherever that would take me and and um, you know the idea of just doing kind of general illustration rather than just fashion pro- uh, project after fashion project sure so um, that's what I did and all the bald all the illustrators in Baltimore there was a little community of us we are all sort of um shared our our sources of work and you know suggested you know go see so and so you know they give me a lot of work and and i know they still have other work to give out so i ended up getting most of my work from places in washington dc and many of them were government agencies and uh, sort of uh, national societies and and uh, People like Chronicle of Higher Education and National Geographic and all the departments of commerce and Mm -hmm. the Interior Department and uh, State Department, things like that. You know, that went on for a few years, but I ended up having a really good relationship with the National Park Service. They had me uh, doing historical subjects and natural history subjects. And the work was for exhibit installations most of them were outdoor exhibit installations that the visitors would walk past oh sure yeah as i as you know cruised through the park mm-hmm. started out i was just doing like the uh the finished illustrations for the exhibits and then they encouraged me to get interested in actually designing the exhibits and then they got me interested in designing the landscape that went around the exhibits wow. and it just really it turned into a, a big variety of things and i really liked it I got to travel all over the country to all these national parks. Uh, You know, I just had a great time. Oh yeah, sounds wonderful. So that went on, and I think I worked for the Park Service for 16 years, and I probably worked on 20 different national park uh, exhibit systems.
0: Mm -hmm. Is that what led you to the uh, the automotive display work that you did?
1: When I went to meet those people, I mentioned to them I had all this experience. Doing, uh, you know, exhibit design, and I didn't know they were working, you know, in the very first stages of their exhibit design work with, you know, with the architects and the interior decorators and all those people.
0: Was that before the Collier Museum actually opened? Oh
1: yeah, the Collier collection was was started out as just being a, a collection of Porsche sports cars that Collier kept in uh, on the east coast of Florida. And then when, the, uh, when he bought the Cunningham collection, which I believe was 87 cars, he had a big uh, expansion project. He was going to do a purpose-built building in Naples, Florida. Okay. And that's, that's when I got in, involved with them.
0: And is that what really kind of launched your – I mean, you obviously were into cars. Or you, were you into cars at that time?
1: Well, I mean, long, you know, I was always a sports car enthusiast. You know, as soon as I got you know, my license, or probably before I got my license, you know, I was paying attention to the little British sports cars. And mm-hmm. remember, there was a fellow in high school with a bug-eye Sprite, and that was, uh, you know, the you know the period in you know, the early 1960s. So I was always sort of interested in cars. Uh, middle of my senior year, Um, I bought myself a little Honda motorcycle and went to high school on the motorcycle. And when I started college, I was going, I guess, 15, 20 miles down to college every morning with a motorcycle. And I wasn't working out because it was art school. And we needed to take our our artist materials and our big drawing pads. Sure. It was time to move on to a car. I started very humbly with very inexpensive stuff.
0: (laughs) Sure. As we all did. Well, and those you, were the days. Yeah, well, I know back when when I first met you and and learned about what you were doing. This was almost twenty years ago. You were at that point creating wonderful big posters for automotive events, auctions, concours, and things like that. And you've done a lot of that work in addition to all the other things you've done. How did you get involved with that?
1: Well, it really evolved out of my interest in vintage posters and vintage advertising posters of all kinds. And uh, I first saw this stuff uh, exhibited in our, uh, at an art school uh, you know, show where they were showing Mucha art. Hmm. Mucha was the uh, Art Nouveau artist uh, from the 1870s to maybe 1900. So that so it was my first exposure to this sort of vintage advertising art there was a fella in art school who went on to become a vintage poster dealer and i was friendly with him and i used to love going up to his his little warehouse where he was distributing all these vintage posters from all the different eras and all the different subjects And he got me interested in this stuff, and it was not too expensive at the time. And, you know, and so fresh out of art, you know, a couple years out of art school, two, three years out of art school, I started buying vintage posters. Mm. But I couldn't afford to buy the vintage car racing posters because they were sort of the most expensive category. I
0: see. (laughs) Yeah, sure.
1: So when the time came... To move away from the park service work and the natural history work, the idea came to me to you know, offer this sort of style stuff to the vintage racing community and the vintage auction community, because I thought it was just right. You know, I thought it would be just the kind of imagery that would fit right in with everything that they did, you oh, know, as far as vintage poster styles.
0: Yeah, and it does so well. We, I had a guest on Cars, you heard, Tony Singer. Uh who you may know who sells vintage posters and uh, old car posters and things like that. So that came to mind when you mentioned that friend of yours. It's a wonderful journey, and I love your style so much. And we'll talk a little bit more as we go down this list of questions I have for you. But I always like to start with a success quote with my guests, a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Dennis, take the wheel.
1: Well, my quote is from Joseph Campbell. Uh, he was a lecturer on mythology and comparative religions, and public broadcasting did a few shows uh, with him back in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. One of his quotations that I, that I really turned tuned into was "Follow your bliss." <laughs> so once I found my subject, you know, the subject I could bliss out on cars. Yes. Uh, I just have never lost my enthusiasm uh-huh. you know, for the subject and uh, just getting involved in all the kind of projects I can that you know, go off in many directions but always involve vintage cars.
0: Okay, so pretty much for the last how many years have you done primarily a focus on automotive illustration?
1: I started around 1986, I believe. Oh,
0: wow, long time.
1: Yeah, I think my first posters, my first... Poster says has a 1987 date on it, and we would have been doing that, you know, quite a bit ahead of time.
0: Dennis, could you share with us a story that instigated your passion for cars? Do you remember a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew in your heart you were a car guy?
1: Well, I'd always been a sports car guy ever since I was a, a, a freshman in art school. Years later, after I had been working on for all kinds of general clients mainly doing this historical and natural history work i met a fella at a local jaguar car show he was very helpful in um moving his car around which was a great car an xkss so that i could take really nice photographs for it of it and i just thought i wanted to have reference photographs and uh in case i ever wanted to do a project about an xkss so uh he was so helpful. I did a few little pieces of art, and I sent them directly to him, and that started a pretty good friendship. And he suggested that I meet him at Road Atlanta for a vintage car race. It was going to be the first vintage car race he did with his XKSS. Mm. I, rode down, I rode down there and just met up with him, and I just met so many interesting people, and they really seemed to welcome me to their world. I just had the idea you know that I could participate in my own way. I knew I wasn't going to be a uh, an on the track kind of guy, but I thought you know I could do something in that world, and that's when it occurred to me to do some sample posters, think of who the clients could be, show them the samples, and uh that's what I did, and it worked out as soon as I showed stuff to people. I immediately you know had assignments.
0: Wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. A great moment to get inspired and and solidify that car guy in you was at a vintage race and fantastic. Plus it coincided with a career move too. That's fantastic. Dennis, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and explore a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. But more importantly, could you share with our listeners how you overcame that situation and and what you learned from it?
1: Well, I think uh any freelance illustrator, no matter you know what subject they're specializing in uh, just the nature of being freelance, you just have to learn not to worry about where the next assignment was going to come from. you know it just you have to learn it will appear mm-hmm. and that not everybody can slide into that sort of. You know, business style, yes, but uh it was just obvious to me that that's the way it was going to be, and that you know and I could get comfortable with it and uh I've just all through my career relaxed and waited for the next assignment
0: you know that's a very entrepreneurial attitude, and maybe maybe as a side note sometime you can teach me how to relax because with this uh venture I've started here four months ago with cars, yeah. Every day I fret about, am I going to have somebody else to be on the show to entertain my, my listenership with? It's real hard for me to, uh, to relax, so maybe you can teach me a few things there that uh, I commend you for that. That's a very entrepreneurial way of thinking. How about aha moments? And you shared maybe the aha moment with me a moment ago when you went to the track and you realized, hey, this is how I can combine my illustration and my passion for cars around vintage motor racing, but... If we could shift gears a bit and go to the other end of the spectrum from challenges and failures and share a story when you had a real aha moment with your career, a time when you realized that, you know what, I think I can really make it at this, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success.
1: Well, it really was you know going down to a big vintage event, seeing all the action that was going on and seeing you know, people really enjoying themselves kind of realize, you know, there is an underlying business to it all. You know, the club is in business and rents the track and has their membership, membership enroll in the events and come and do the events. So really when I discovered that, that was the aha moment. And meeting, you know, all the interesting people, people who I would never have the opportunity to meet you know, any other way, I knew it would be a business opportunity, and I knew it would be fun. And I have certainly not changed my mind about that.
0: <laughs> and as I said, I, I met you originally, gosh, close to 20 years ago. And even back then, I knew you were doing the posters, uh, got involved with some designs for ties. I've still got those ties. In fact, I wore and went to a car event a couple of weeks ago, one of your ties that I bought probably 15 plus years ago now.
1: Well, it's good to know there's still a few guys wearing neckties. Uh, Yeah, well, only when I not quite as many as there used to be.
0: Only when I have to. (laughs) How about proudest career moment? Is there a moment you can share with us when you were really proud about your career? Something that happened?
1: Well, I I really felt good when I went down and the Collier Museum was having their grand opening. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, I had worked on it for i think a full year by then, and uh my wife, who's a graphic designer, she worked on it with me uh doing a lot of the signage and uh so we had a great trip down there and uh you know still more new people to meet mm-hmm. and uh and and enjoy and it was you know and you know walking through the museum and knowing I had a big part of how. The presentation was, you know, assembled and produced really did make me feel proud.
0: Oh, I'll bet. And I've never had the pleasure of visiting that museum, but I sure hope to get there one day. Well, it's open to the public
1: again. And for after, uh, you know, quite a few years, uh, it had opened to the public in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It closed in the middle, and now it's opened again. And people should really take the opportunity to see just a fantastic, fantastic place.
0: Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And could you share a special memory
1: you had with that vehicle? Well, it wasn't my first car. My first car was a little Hillman Minx convertible. Oh, wow. And it did not thrill me. And I'll bet I didn't have it more than about four weeks. (laughs) I guess uh, not. (laughs) And I I went on to a great car. Then I went on to an MGA. Oh, nice. Uh, like, I, uh, you know, it was a 1961 MGA. I believe I bought it in 1965. I paid $450 for it. <laughs> it was the golden age of depreciation. Yes. <laughs> things, uh, you know, things were just so easily attainable for a young guy then. Yeah, yeah. So. You know,
0: an MGA has a special place in my heart because that's the first sports car I ever sat in. I have a picture of my mom holding me i was born in 1958 and i have a picture when i was one year old sitting on her lap in an mga that my dad borrowed for a weekend from a friend of his to to drive around so
1: are there any special memories
0: you have with that vehicle
1: well it was my everything car i used it in all weather you know and in baltimore the winters were rough oh yeah and and snowy and so uh back and forth to art school back and forth to my uh, part-time job at the Honda motorcycle shop but I got some really clear memories of hand cranking it on a on cold mornings to get that <laughs> engine loosened up before the starter would would give it a little kick yeah yeah maybe I could even started without the starter <laughs> <laughs> that was great and they all came with a crank there was a crank behind the seat on every one of them and uh-huh. uh, i don't know if I, I don't know if everybody used it but we had to use them around here yeah
0: my dad's first sports car was a 47 mg tc and he had a crank in many mornings he drove that car to work almost every day and yeah. he had to hand crank that thing to start it some mornings of course we were in southern california so the weather wasn't baltimore weather but uh, still pretty uh, wide open car for a daily driver. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've let go in your life that you really wished you could have back?
1: Had a great XK 120, 50 XK 120 red fender skirts. I wish I still had it. I, I went through a period where I would have three or four old Jags at the same time. So I had a 120 and I had a 140 and I had a Mark two and then I actually bought a second absolutely matched red 120 with Fender skirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I that it only took me about a week to realize nobody needs two identical cars. I, I did sell that to a friend of mine only after about a week.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, you are <laughs> definitely, you are a British car guy. <laughs> That's for sure. Are you working on any, any current projects right now that really have you excited and fired up?
1: Well, if we're talking about car projects, we're you know not art projects. I have my uh, flat rad Morgan, a '53 flat rad Morgan that um, I have personalized. Oh yeah! And uh, I'm going to let anybody who uh, wants to find out what I'm talking about look on my website, and it has its own page on my website. Really? I, it'll surprise them.
0: Oh, cool. A little teaser for us. Well, again, I'll remind everybody that you can find links to Dennis's website and some of the other things he's going to share with us today at com slash Dennis Simon. Dennis, here's a funny question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why?
1: Well, I'd be an Alpha 8C 2900B.
0: Oh, my goodness. Now, why would you be that car?
1: Because everybody would want me.
0: (laughs) I see the angle you're taking here. You want to be loved. (laughs) Yes, that is a special car. Well, that's an interesting take on that. I like that answer. That was fun. So, Dennis, we're up to what I call the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So, are you buckled up and ready? Ready to go. All right. What's the best automotive advice that you've ever received?
1: My father said, you can fix it. (laughs) Yes. And uh, if if I didn't believe it and uh, make it come true, I I wouldn't have had uh, much of a a life as a car enthusiast because I have to do it myself almost all the time.
0: Sure. Well, and I'm probably going to get in trouble here, but for owning old British cars, you do need to learn how to fix them. Yeah, they tend to need a little bit of love and care. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success?
1: Well, I have stayed with traditional painting techniques. And uh, I know the world's moved on and all these young artists are doing stuff on their computers. But I decided that the painting part, making the image, you know, uh, it, the image part I don't want to do on a computer. I want to paint with paint traditional techniques, and I'm lucky I found a small market where that is still appropriate.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I've had many artists on Cars, yeah, that are painters, and I love to hear them talk about the experience of applying the paint and still doing it that way. You're right, computer graphics have taken over so many things and, and taken that element away. What kind of medium do you usually work in?
1: I work in acrylics. Okay. And we just photograph the painting when it's finished. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, all my projects, I do much more than just the the, uh, the image of the car. You know, I, I do my own graphic design for all the typefaces and the layouts. And, uh, you know, I, I do all that with computers these days. When I started, I used to hand paint all the type. Mm-hmm. I don't miss that at all. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> that, is, that is a lot of work. in and- you know, again, I've mentioned, listeners, you can go and see Dennis's work on his website. Do that because you're going to love what you see in these posters. You'll get that sense of history and, and style and motion. How about resources? Is there a resource that you have really enjoyed? Maybe it's a website you visit or a blog that you get that you could share with our listeners.
1: Well, I, uh, I'm hot on some pretty obscure things right now. I found a Facebook group. And, uh, it's based in, uh, Belgium and then another one in France. And they both specialize in, uh, archival photography mostly of cycle cars. Oh, wow. These little lightweight. Three-wheelers and four-wheelers, they were built between, the in the teens and the 1920s, really lightweight little cars, certainly nothing that ever caught on. I don't think any of the companies were commercial successes, but it's just an obscure little area that right now I'm really fascinated with. So uh, one of the groups is called Le Cycle Cariste Belge, and the other one is called, and I don't know why it's called this, Uh, Yacht Club des Avions de la Route. Hmm, Wow. Boats, airplanes, and roads.
0: uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Dennis, would you share a book that you've recently read, or maybe a book that you think our listeners would really enjoy?
1: One of the favorite books out of my automotive library, and I have a very good book, Automotive library 300, 400 books. Wow. And to tell you the truth, most of them I've never read. I bought them almost all for the photographs that are in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, these days, I, I once in a while pull something out that I probably had sitting around for years and never read. And a few years ago, I pulled out a book called Jenks, A Passion for Motorsport. Oh, yeah. And it was a biography of Dennis Jenkinson. Yep. And uh, he has just participated in the whole automotive scene in so many different ways. He uh, was a sidecar monkey, world champion sidecar monkey. He was Sterling Moss's navigator on the Mill Amelia. He uh, was a big vintage car and motorcycle collector, vintage car and motorcycle racer, just so many different things. And he was one very eccentric guy. And uh, the fellow who wrote about him really captured uh, an interesting an interesting man there. And I'd recommend that to anybody. I think they'd have fun reading it.
0: It is a great book. I've got that in my library as well. So we'll make sure that we post all of these on your show notes page at com slash Dennis Simon. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars?
1: Well, I've already mentioned motorcycles, and uh, that is my uh, second love. I just love riding. I'm real fortunate to have a client who I do a little motorcycle art for, and he runs a tour business in the Alps. Wow. And uh, my favorite activity is uh, going over there with his little tour, and we ride all through the Alps. It's uh, seven different countries. Uh, all the great historic roads. It is the mecca for motorcycle riders from all over the world. It's so easy for the European riders to get there. It's not so easy for us to get there. But, sure. uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to have this connection with this fellow. He has a fleet of brand-new BMW motorcycles in Munich, and, uh, <laughs> and I have done it many summers now, and it's probably uh, my most uh, enjoyable sideline.
0: Sounds fantastic. So he runs a tour. What is the name of his tour? Maybe we could share that with our listeners. Beaches Motorcycle
1: Adventures.
0: We'll make sure we post that on your show notes page. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Dennis. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money's no object. Yeah, I took that little trick off the table. What would it be And why? Well, I'd have
1: a Cricklewood Bentley four and a half liter.
0: A Cricklewood Bentley four and a half liter. Now, what is it about that car that tugs on your heart?
1: Well, judging by the people I've met who own them, they entertain for a lifetime.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. I like that. Dennis, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. It's been fun to reconnect with you and get to know you. A little better, some different sides of you that I didn't know. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Bentley?
1: Well, forget about those auction prices and drive your cars.
0: (laughs) Very good advice. Get out and drive. I've heard that from many of our guests. Don't just let them sit. There's nothing fun about a garage queen. And Dennis, would you let our listeners know what's the best way they can learn more about you and your business and your artwork? and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Well, my website is Century of Speed. You can Google Century of Speed, or you can Google Dennis Simon, and it'll take you right there, and I'm also on Facebook.
0: All right. Well, great. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything we talked about here at carsyad.com slash Dennis Simon. Dennis, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today, your expertise, and sharing your experiences with our listeners until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Mark, it was great fun talking to you, and I'll keep an eye out for you.
0: All right. That sounds like a plan. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up